Welcome to Old Walls House. It's me. It's your main man. It's your host. It's Old Walls. Back for episode number 39. That's right. 39 episodes of Old Walls House are now in the books. And one bonus episode. Don't forget about that one. So yeah, I thank you guys for, for coming back and checking out another week. Really appreciate it. Thank you, thank you, thank you. As always, appreciate everything so much. It's just, the support's been awesome. So, again, thank you. Before we get going, let's do that housekeeping. You guys know the deal. If you could, comment, rate, review, subscribe, share, tell a friend, tell a family member, tell some random person on the street. Let them know Old Walls House is the place to be. Got a fun episode coming, guys. We're going to start right out with 60 Seconds with MJ. Then we're going right into a great conversation with Ethan E. Sexton. And then a little bit later on the show, we got Bill, Bill Big Cat Gardner coming to talk about the Green Bay Packers. So it's a great show. It's a fun show. Let's not waste any time and let's get into it. Hey, Wally, it's MJ. Uh, what's up, everybody? Uh, quick little thought here. Um, not getting much love or attention, but my Atlanta Braves in baseball, I got to give some credit to, and I hope you get a little chance to talk to them on your pod. Uh, Wally, you know, just swept the Mets over the weekend, um, you know, Super Bowl champs last year, and I feel like no one talks about them as much. So I want to, you know, just kind of get your thoughts on that really quick. I know football's dominated headlines in, in most of the pod, but um, I got to give it up to the Braves. They look really good. 100 win team again. So, you know, I, I got to give some love there. Uh, secondly, um, my one question for you um, is Cooper Rush the greatest Dallas Cowboys quarterback ever to put on the uniform? Um, and also, my fantasy team is trash. It's the worst that I've ever done, but I don't really care. Cowboys 3 and 1. Looking forward to it. Go, Braves. MJ out. Welcoming back to the show, uh, second time guest, the one, the only, Ethan E. Sexton. Ethan, how are we doing today? I'm doing well, Wally. You know, it's great to be back. You know, I, I'm I'm thinking, man, you know, I've, I've been a frequent listener to the podcast now for a while. And uh, of all the nicknames of your guests, I think E is one of the most pathetic. But, you know, what are you going to do? Hey, sometimes a nickname is just what it is. You don't get to pick your nicknames. You don't necessarily get to like your nickname. Sometimes you just have to deal with it. Right. I mean, we got Nick Daddy Place, which is one of the all-timers, I think. So, uh, But, you know, as we know, a nickname doesn't always mean you're going to be uh, spouting out the best betting advice, huh, Nick? So, No, just... no I, think you should, I think you should definitely go with the, uh, the nickname you don't like as opposed to being like 2-20 all-time uh, in bets. So I think you're... I think you're still catching the better end of that deal. Perfect. Awesome. Well, hey, we just heard MJ uh, lead us into this, and he asked us to talk about the Atlanta Braves and how the, the Mets have collapsed. And it was perfect. I don't think he knew you were coming on, so this was a perfect segue to go right from MJ 60 seconds. We'll get to his football stuff later. But, yeah, just walk me through what has happened in the last couple of weeks with the Mets and Braves. That seems like a great place to start. Yeah, for sure. Uh, we definitely uh, shortchanged the Braves on our first discussion, you know, uh, so that that's my fault, you know, for not really giving them the run that they deserved. 
Uh, so basically, the Mets got off to an incredible start this season. Really good team. Uh, they played great. They had a huge lead in the NL East for a long time, uh, about the first two months of the season. Uh, the Braves got off to a bit of a slow start. Of course, this is a team that they lost Freddie Freeman in the offseason, but they replaced him with a guy named Matt Olson. They got in a trade and signed him up long term. Took a little bit for him to get going, uh, a little bit for their team to come together. Uh, but essentially what happened, Wally, is in around May and June, uh, especially in June, the Braves really took off. And they have a strong team. Of course, they're de the defending World Series champions. Uh, but two things really happened for them that gave them the shot in the arm they kind of needed to go on this incredible run that they've been on. Uh, they had a guy named Spencer Strider, who's a rookie pitcher, uh, pitched a little bit for them last year and started this season in their bullpen. Uh, back in May, I can't remember the exact date or the exact stat line, but he had a relief appearance where he went multiple innings, I think like four or five innings, and struck out damn near double digit, if not, you know, 10 guys in a relief appearance. Uh, and they looked at this and they said, okay, this guy's got incredible stuff. Uh, we need to get him in the rotation. They put him in the rotation and he has been incredible ever since. Uh, he's won a ton of his games. He strikes out double digit guys almost every time he pitches. So he's been incredible. Uh, they have another guy named Kyle Wright, who's an over 20 game winner, who's been great. And one other thing was their veteran guy, Charlie Morton, who got off to a rough start this season, he started to pick up the pace. So their pitching staff all of a sudden was dominant because I, I'm not even talking about Max Freed, who came into the season as their ace. So they got four legit studs in their rotation. Uh, so that really helped when that happened with their pitching staff. And then in June, they brought up a guy named Michael Harris II, who plays center field, elite defender, uh, was a top prospect, highly hyped, all this stuff. Uh, they brought him up. They needed a guy that could play center field. He's been great in center field. Uh, but the other thing they weren't quite expecting when they brought up is how well this guy has hit. Uh, he's going to end this, end the season being a 20 home run, 20 stolen base guy, hitting for a high average. So it's these two rookies, Wally, that have really given the Braves the shot in the arm they needed to go on this crazy run since June that has seen them overtake the Mets, uh, culminating in the sweep this weekend. Uh, to really overtake the Mets, they've now got a two-game lead in the division. They need to win one game to win the division. So really, it's not anything that the Mets have done wrong because the Mets are going to probably end up winning 100 games as well. It's just that the Braves have been so much better than pretty much everyone in the league and gone on this insane run since June. And just one thing. I did see, though, that basically the Mets, had they just not gotten swept, had they won one game out of the series, they still would have had their destiny in their own hands in the last couple of games this week, right? That's correct. Because they did they coming into the series Friday before it started, that the Mets had the tiebreaker, but being swept has now given the Braves uh control of their own destiny. Like I said, they they just need to win one game and they'll win the division. And uh it's it's been a pretty crazy division because you know the the Mets and the Braves, uh the Braves have won hundred games now. The Mets need two wins in their last three to win hundred games. Uh so that's potentially 200 game winners. And then it looks like the Phillies, if they can win one game are going to be one of the wildcard teams. So you've got three of the five teams in the division in the playoffs. So uh, it is a little bit of a collapse for the Mets, if you want to put it that way, but really they've played quite well all season. It's just the Braves have, have overtaken them over the past few months. Yeah. And I think this is, uh, I think this is as up to date as it can be is what the postseason picture looks like is, 
that's quite the swing. So now the Braves get the two seed in the NL, if I'm right, yep. and will play the winner of the Cardinals and the Phillies, as opposed to where the Mets now are the four seed playing the Padres and will then have to play the Dodgers in the second round. That's I cr- believe that's as up-to-date as possible, but that uh, that just seems like quite the change in fortunes there. I mean, uh, the Dodgers obviously still being world beaters, it seems. Yeah, you definitely wanted to try to avoid the Dodgers as much as possible. So as long as Atlanta wins one game, that scenario is locked in where they'll win the two seed. Whoever wins the NL East is the two seed, and right now it's in, in the Braves' hands. Uh, so you've got that. And then the Mets, yep, the Mets and the Dodgers – or excuse me, the Mets and the Padres series is locked in as long as Atlanta wins the East. Uh, That can't change. The only thing that can change on the NL side right now is the Phillies need to win one game to clinch the third wildcard spot. Uh, Technically, the Brewers are still in it. Uh, The Brewers would have to sweep their final series of the season starting today, and the Phillies would need to lose uh, or, or be swept, excuse me, by the Astros, which could happen because even though the Astros are locked into the number one seed in the American League, uh, they're going to start three of their studs because they're not going to play until next week uh, in the playoffs. So they're not fully resting guys, uh, but the Phillies just need to win one game and they'll be the third wild card. And even if the Phillies don't win one game, even any loss by the Brewers knocks them out, correct? Correct. Yep. So the Brewers need to sweep their final series and the Phillies need to get swept for the Brewers to overtake the Phillies for that last wild card spot. So that's, that would be an all time bad beat for the Phillies not to make the playoffs. That would be, yeah, that would be a hell of a kick to the stones, man. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, you started talking about the AL. Um, I again, I believe everybody is locked into the playoffs over there. Um, and the top two seeds have, uh, got their buy set. Is there any shifting that can go on in who plays who over on that side? Yeah, so all the teams are locked in. So you've got the six teams, uh, Astros one seed, Yankees two, Cleveland three, Toronto four, and then Seattle and Tampa Bay are the five and six seeds, respectively, as it stands right now. Uh, That could potentially flip. Right now, Seattle has a one-game lead in the standings. So depending on how this last series goes, uh, the Seattle right now is scheduled to face Toronto, Uh, But they could, if they lost, uh, or if Tampa Bay could overtake them in the standings, then those two teams could flip-flop. That's the only change. So all the teams are set, the six teams that are going to be in the playoffs on the AL side. uh, But that final, the the wildcard matchups basically are still up in the air a little bit as of now. Got it. Yeah, so as, you know, the people who maybe don't follow baseball, we're talking about a lot of teams for the playoffs as far as baseball, you know, is concerned. If maybe you haven't been paying attention. Walk us through kind of the new the new postseason picture here. We're up to six teams in each in each league, um, and it's three division winners and three wild cards. Am I correct? Yep, you're correct. So basically, this is the first time that they added the third wild card spot. Um, it's a nice change. We talked about it a little bit last time. I think you know twelve teams make the playoffs now. It's less than half the teams in the league, so it's not too many in my opinion. Um, gives you an even number to go off of on each side of the bracket. So that was the major change coming in is the addition of one more wildcard team. And basically what that did is instead of your top seed uh, having a buy and then playing, playing the two wildcard teams playing into the, uh, the four man bracket, the 14 bracket, if you will, you get two wildcard seat, two wildcard series, excuse me, 
on both the AL and the NL side. So you basically get one more round of games. Uh, those wild card series that we're talking about, they're only three game series. So it's a best of three. Uh, they play them right in a row. They start on Friday and there's no breaks. They're all played at the higher seed stadium. Uh, so those are going to be quick series leading into the AL and NL divisional series. I, I love that. I love that there it's, it's just Friday, Saturday, Sunday, correct. For both the wild yep. card for yep. the wild card series. Yep. You got it. So it's three quick games. There's no breaks, no travel, nothing like that. Three, three games in quick succession. And then you're on to the divisional series. Yep. I absolutely love that. Cause you know, the worst part of any of like any of the postseasons and baseball, basketball, hockey, where they're doing these series is, you know, this day's off, this day's off, this day off, you know, you play a game, you get two days off, play a game, they travel, you know, it's three days off. Uh, the NBA is obviously the worst. Yep. Um, but I love that they're just going bang, bang, bang. They said, screw it. We're playing it all in one spot. When I first read that, I was like, wow, that's that's an interesting way to do it. But, you know, thinking about it more and then hearing you explain it, you know, right in a row, I think that's so cool. It, like, gets the momentum because I haven't watched much baseball this year, but now, the you know, Cleveland's in the playoffs. And if you give me three games in a row or two games in a row, hopefully, um, I'll have much more investment to, like, turn that on if i had to you know watch a game they lose and then i have to wait three days it's a tougher sell so i think it's great yeah i agree completely man i think you know baseball such a long regular season man uh, 162 regular season games is a lot of games and it used to be that wild card game you could make it as the wild card teams and you're only playing one game so you're playing 162 games and you don't even get to play a series in the playoffs if you make it as a wild card you have to rely on one single game to advance in the playoffs so i like that they're adding this more you know even it's a two out of three it's not a long series but it's still more than one game so you know you're playing this entire series and you've got more than just one playoff game to really uh, get out there and get after. So I do like it. I think it's a nice change. Of course, adding one more team in, I think is also cool because they didn't dilute it so much where, you know, now teams are losing records are going to get in because we've got too many teams in the playoffs, but you know, but exactly like I just said, you know, you play 162 games. If you're the sixth best team in your league and you've got a winning record, like, you know, Tampa's 13 games over 500 as the sixth seed right now, that's pretty solid. So, you know, you don't want to have a really strong season. You didn't win your division, and then now you're just not making the playoffs, even though you're a good team. So I think it gets one more team that's had a strong season into the playoffs, and then instead of only getting a shot with one game, you know, now you get to play a best-of-three series. So I, I love the change as well. It adds a little more drama, a little more excitement, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Yeah, I'm with you. I like the change. I like including a couple extra teams. I couldn't stand the one game wild card thing. It was like a cool novelty at first, but then like the more and more it happened, you're like, you just played 162 games and we're going to just do one game. Like I, I wasn't, I didn't like it. So I think this is a, uh, a huge, um, uh, a huge improvement. So while we're, you know, still talking about the AL and we've got a little, a little bit of uh, possible switcheroos going on over there. What's the better matchup for my uh, for my Cleveland Guardians? Should I be hoping they get matched up with Tampa Bay or Seattle? Well, it's hard to say, man, because, I mean, in my opinion, all these teams are pretty good. Now, a lot of these teams have Achilles heels. You know, some of them uh, we can talk about a little bit. But, you know, if I was a Cleveland fan right now, which you are, I, I would feel pretty good about my team. 
Uh, you've played great since the last time we talked. Mm -hmm. uh, you took over the division and dominated it to the point where you clinched, you know, a week early. Uh, so Cleveland have been playing really well. And the interesting thing, if Cleveland and Tampa Bay end up playing together uh, against each other, excuse me, is this is two teams that win in very similar fashion. Uh, you look at their lineups and, you know, outside one or two players on each team, there's nothing really that sexy there. Like if you if you don't pay attention to baseball a lot, you're going to look at these lineups and be like, who the hell are some of these guys? But they're guys that, you know, like whether it's a Yandy Diaz or for Tampa or like guys like Ahmed Rosario for Cleveland, where they're not known to like uh, non-hardcore baseball fans as much. These are guys that put together really tough at bats and make it hard for on pitching staffs. Uh, and that's kind of what both lineups are. Like they don't have the sexiest players, but they're a lot of tough outs. But these are two teams that win on pitching and defense. Uh, they they both have strong pitching staffs, whether it's the in the rotation or in the bullpen, and they don't make mistakes defensively. So you really got to earn and grind out grind out wins when you're facing both Cleveland and Tampa Bay. And Seattle's a little bit in the sim similar mold where. Uh, they've got this explosive rookie named Julio Rodriguez, who's a lock to win AL Rookie of the Year. He should be back in the lineup today. He's been on the IL, but he should be back today, so he'll be ready for the playoffs. He's had a phenomenal season for a rookie, uh, over 20 home runs, approaching 40 steals. Uh, he's been incredible, but the rest of their lineup, you look at it, and there's some good players there, but nobody that you're going to be like, wow, this guy's an MVP candidate or anything like that. Uh, but they have a strong pitching staff and a strong bullpen as well. So it's three really similarly built teams. I think that ser those series, no matter who Cleveland ends up playing, uh, it's going to be a tough one for for both teams. Yeah, and just to just to stay with, you know, my Cleveland Guardians, that is. <laughs> um, I, the, one of the notes I made is obviously Jose Ramirez is a stud. Yep. He's, you know, by far the best offensive player on the team. Yeah, one I said – one of the more underrated. Is the other production going to come from? Uh, is it going to be, you know, like you said, is it that Ahmed Rosario? Because he's been around for a little bit. I know Miles Straw and Josh Naylor were both young prospects that they liked when I was following them a little, a little more in depth. Um, where else do you see offensive production coming for from them? Yeah, so you've got a really strong leadoff hitter in Stephen Kwan, guy that doesn't hit for a lot of power, but he's hitting over three hundred, and when the league averages around you know, 200, that's a pretty big improvement, right? So guy that gets on base really well, sets the table well. Rosario usually hits behind him, can steal a base, gets on base as well. Ramirez is one of the most underrated players in the league because he's a perennial MVP candidate and a stud, but he doesn't get the same national attention as, as other players of his caliber. Um, you know, you mentioned Josh Naylor, who's had a great, uh, well, a strong season, you know, hitting 254, 20 home runs, uh, you know, approaching 80 RBIs. And then the bottom half of the, the order, it's a little weaker, you know, with Miles Straw, who plays good defense, can steal you a base in center field. Uh, the catching spot is more based on, you know, like guys that can handle the pitching staff and are better defensively. So you don't have much for hitters at the catching spot, even though they did just call up Josh Naylor's brother, Bo, who's a, uh, a pretty big prospect for them, but not sure how he's going to pan out, you know, in a, in the small sample here, he's going to get in the majors before the playoffs, if he's even going to be on the playoff roster. Uh, but then there's another guy, you know, Oscar Gonzalez was a the guy they called up this year. He's hitting almost 300, got over 10 home runs. So there's not a lot of guys who like pitchers are going to come in and, and straight up fear. Like, you know, the Yankees and Aaron judge, you know, we're seeing it right now. He's not getting much to hit because of the season he's having. So other than Ramirez, there's not really a guy like that in Cleveland's lineup, but what you have is a bunch of scrappy guys who don't give away at bats 
Uh, they're not going to just strike out on three pitches. They're going to make you work for it. Uh, so, you know, they, they kind of do things that way by setting the table and, and having productive at bats, moving runners, things of that nature, rather than, you know, getting three guys on base and hitting grand slams or stuff like that. Gotcha. Yep. And yeah. And you know, you've mentioned like pitching is going to be what they're going to lean on. They've got Shane Bieber and Tristan McKenzie, who both of those I'm still familiar with from when I, like I said, I've, I haven't followed them as much this year, but um, those two guys were dudes. And it's funny, I'm looking at the stats for the year and a guy that was kind of an up and comer, you know, a couple of years ago, Zach, please Zach, um, you know, have a rough year. Uh, you know, I know wins and losses aren't a big metric for pitchers, but three and 12 um, and a 4.34 ERA, you know, is he kind of a guy who could be like, if he could find it for, you know, a month and a half, is he kind of somebody who could kind of help spur a little run for him? I mean, I just see that as a, you know, kind of out of the loop guy. Um, am I, am I nuts thinking that? Yeah, I, I don't think – I honestly am not sure he's even going to see the light of day in the playoffs, to be honest with you, Wally, because, you know, in these series, you know, the wild card series, you only need three starters. And then yep. in the division series, you really only need three or maybe four, but most likely you're only going to need three again because uh, that's a best-of-five series. So really you only need three starters for the first two series. So I'm not sure if Plesak, if they end up moving him into their bullpen – to be a piece there potentially, but I'm not sure where he would factor in there because they have guys that have been studs for them. Uh, you know, the back and the closer class a has been arguably the best closer in baseball this year. And James Karen has been lights out since he came back from the minor leagues. So he wouldn't really pitch in any high leverage roles for them out of the bullpen. So I'm wondering if he even makes the postseason roster uh, especially for the wild card series, I wouldn't be surprised if he didn't make it just because you're, you only need three starters. You got Bieber and McKenzie, uh, who Bieber people know as a former Cy Young award winner and a stud Tristan McKenzie's has a, a sub three ERA and 186 strikeouts on the season. He's been great. And then Cal Quantrill isn't, doesn't put up the big strikeout numbers, but he's about as solid as it comes. He goes deep into games. Uh, he's got 14 wins on the season, just under a three and a half ERA. Mm-hmm. So Plesak specifically, I'm not even sure if he's going to get a look this postseason. He, he's had a rough year. He got injured. I believe he got dumped by his agents, which is never a good sign. He's had some weird like personal stuff where he punched the wall and broke his hand. He broke his hand last year, taking off his shirt, allegedly. He had the COVID thing where he broke the COVID regulations in 2020. So it kind of seems like a little bit of a mental case to be honest. I was going to say, this guy sounds like a fucking psycho. <laughs> a little a little bit. So he may not even get a look in the postseason. Cool. Well, that's a, I think that's a good update. I don't know that anybody wants us to focus on Cleveland for the rest of the <laughs> uh, rest of your time here. So what uh, what else are you seeing in the playoffs? Um, big predictions. I mean, probably talk MVP candidates a little bit here. You mentioned Aaron Judge. So as I just said, three things to talk about. Let's swing the kind of MVP candidates. I mean, in the AL, it's got to be Aaron Judge, right? I mean, he leads in pretty much every batting category there is just about, right? Yeah, it's either Judge or Otani. Now, Judge is going to lead the league in home runs for sure. It's not even close. He's going to lead the league in uh, RBIs as well. And he's got a chance to lead the league in batting average, which would be a triple crown season, which uh, they don't happen too often. So it'd be pretty hard to deny him of the MVP award, especially if he wins the triple crown. But the the thing that looms over the MVP race and is going to continue to loom over the MVP race as long as he's good is uh, the Shohei Otani question because yep. Otani 
is having he's not having a judge level season at the at the plate. No one is. Judge is having a, a, a historic you know season if he wins the triple crown. But Otani is hitting 275, 34 home runs, and 94 RBIs as we speak this morning. So that's still a pretty damn good offensive season. And then you throw in the fact that he's 15 and 8 with a 2.35 ERA and over 200 strikeouts on the mound. I mean, Otani could win MVP every single year because no one can compete with what he does because he's two players in one. Mm -hmm. So that's the only real question as far as if judge is going to win the MVP or not. Uh, do I have a lean? I, I mean, I would be fine if either guy won and I can understand the arguments either way. It's so hard to compare Otani to any other player because he pitches and hits at an elite level. So that's that's the big question mark in the as far as whether or not Judge is going to win the award. Yeah, I just just you know again as kind of an outsider looking in almost, it, it feels like a the long ball sexy, the, you know they've been doing they're breaking into you know college football games to show Aaron Judge at bats. Right, uh, he plays for the Yankees. You know maybe he's a Yankee. You know, um, it just it just seems like everything's just lining up for him. Um, I mean, obviously you make great points about Otani. Like how do you even, what, what even is the comparison for a guy that is doing, you know, two things in baseball. It's a, a sport that's very, you know, specialized. So it's a, it's a great question. And that's a great race. What do you think about in the NL side? Yeah. The NL one I think is a lot more interesting because, you know, I think you've got two guys from the Cardinals in Paul Goldschmidt and Nolan Arenado that are in the race, just having incredible seasons uh, Arenado, uh, as we speak today, he is hitting uh, 292 with 30 home runs and over 100 RBIs. Goldschmidt's hitting 318 with 35 home runs and 114 RBIs. So you got two studs with the Cardinals, and then I would, I think probably the the third guy would end up being Mookie Betts. Uh, Mookie Betts is hitting 271, 35 home runs. Doesn't have quite as many RBIs because he leads off a lot for the Dodgers, uh, but he's got 116 runs scored. So I think those are probably the three guys. You know, Austin Riley's in the mix, hitting 276 with 38 bombs, 93 RBIs. So that race is a lot closer. Uh, to me, I think the front runner is probably Paul Goldschmidt. Uh, he's just having the best, most complete season of the four guys, I would say. You know, hitting well over 300. He's got the most home runs. Uh, or He's three behind Austin Riley, excuse me, but uh, he's got 35 home runs. You know, he's just having, I, in my opinion, he's having the most – complete season of all those guys but they're all having great seasons but i do think goldschmidt probably is the front runner uh and and likely will end up winning the award in the nl but that one's a lot harder to call in my opinion got it yeah i have no knowledge of the nl race um <laughs> i'm very very out of the loop on that side uh you know one thing i guess we got to kind of just mention is uh albert Pujols and his kind of second half to the season uh, i know like starting the year it was like a pipe dream that he was going to get to 700 home runs. And, you know, then he goes ahead and does it. And, you know, with some time to spare in the season, because I believe he said this is his last season, regardless of what happens. Yep. You're right about that. He's, he's retiring at the end of the season and uh, Yadier Molina, who has been the longtime catcher for the Cardinals is also retiring at a really nice ceremony yesterday where uh, for the two of them. And then Adam Wainwright, who's been there a long time too, he hasn't announced his retirement, but he's, you know, he certainly could retire as well. Uh, so during the game yesterday, they, they had a preseason 
ceremony or a pregame, excuse me, ceremony for Pujols and Molina. And then when Adam Wainwright made the start and when he came out of the game, they pulled all three of them so they could walk off the field together, which was, which was kind of a cool moment. So cool mm-hmm. uh, host. Yeah. It, it, kind of out of nowhere, man. He's got over 20 home runs. Now he's got 23 home runs. He's hitting 268. He doesn't play every day. He's only got 302 at bats on the season. Mostly mm-hmm. plays against left-handed pitching. Uh, kind of came out of nowhere, man, because he got released by the Angels last year, which that huge contract he signed never really worked out. And not a lot of people expected him to really have much left in the tank. They thought there was outside chance he could get to 700, but ultimately might not play enough to get there. But pretty much once they took over the Central and had the division almost on lockdown, they were just throwing him out there every day. And to his credit, He's 42 years old. To his credit, he didn't break down at all. And, in fact, he got red hot. And, to, and like you said, not not only did he get to 700, but he's eclipsed it, and he hit one yesterday, I believe, to get to 702. So uh, pretty cool for Albert. Just an all-time great, man. Uh, and, you know, I, I know I mess, messaged you after he hit his 700th and let you know that he was on the cover of MVP Baseball 2004, which is 18 years ago, man. So, I mean, the guy's been a, a legend of the game. Uh, his time in Anaheim didn't quite work out to what his contract was, but just an all-time legend, great hitter, and uh, pretty cool to see him get over that 700 home run mark. Yeah, I was really struggling with the uh, <laughs> what cover he was on. I was having a rough go of it that day. I was trying to look it up online. I couldn't <laughs> remember it. I forgot it was called MVP Baseball. I thought it was just MLB. Uh, it was an absolute mess, but yeah. What a legend that dude is. Uh, like you said, 18 years ago was the cover athlete. Um, and that that was also the best baseball game I think they've ever made, uh, just just as a thing. And it's funny, those big – the big contracts in, in MLB don't seem to, like, work out a lot, especially, like, when they steal a player away um, from another team. Like, the pool holes one is the obviously the one that comes to mind. Obviously, there have been, been some, one that, some ones that work, but – it almost feels like baseball is is almost kind of a, in its own little little bubble here where like you almost get those big contracts for what you've done not what you're going to do um i don't know just a just a little aside there you can correct no, me if you think i'm wrong no no i i agree the the issue or however you want to phrase it is like when you come up as a prospect, you know, you make the league minimum until you go through arbitration, but you can't go through arbitration for a couple years usually. And they're trying to make changes to this whole system. So I don't have it completely memorized and all that stuff. But basically what happens is you don't get paid what you're worth. If you're a top prospect and you hit the ground running and you play Mm -hmm. great, uh, like this Julio Rodriguez has done for the Mariners, a lot of times, unless you sign a deal, which he actually did sign a 10 year deal with the team, but you don't get paid what you're worth for almost six, seven years until you hit free agency. Now, if you're an extremely talented player like Otani uh, in arbitration, he just signed a one-year deal to avoid arbitration for next season, which he's going to get paid $30 million. But if you're not playing at that level, you don't often get paid what you're worth until you hit free agency, but you don't hit free agency until you're in your late 20s. So then you end up signing a long-term deal when your prime is – you're still in your prime when you sign it, but then after you hit 30, you're starting to go down the downhill slope. So that's, I think, why a lot of the long-term deals don't end up working out is yep. because when you can finally sign one, if you sign a decade-long deal when you're 28, 
by the end of it, you're probably not going to be close to the player you were when you first signed it. So a lot yep. of them do end up kind of working out not the best. Yep. Well, hey, that was a nice little aside we had. Let's swing back to the postseason. <laughs> um, let's talk some predictions, uh, who you like to move forward. Um, you can kind of either go round by round for me or you can give kind of a, a giant, you know, an overall overview of it. I Like I said, I know there's some uh, some possible changes on the AL side, but who do you see getting to the ALDS and ALCS and, and on to the World Series? Yeah, so if we start with the wildcard matchups as they are, in the NL, I'd like to say the Phillies could win, and I do think they can because they have two stud pitchers in Zach Wheeler and Aaron Nola, uh, but they're really streaky at the plate, and the Cardinals are pretty tough. So while I think the Phillies could win, I lean Cardinals there. So Cardinals winning that one. I think the Mets will take care of the Padres. The Padres have been really disappointing since they traded for Juan Soto. Uh, when I was last on, we said they were the big winners at the deadline. And I think next year they'll come good. They'll have Tatis back. They'll be a little better. But for this year, Soto's really struggled. And they have a team that could beat the Mets, but I lean the Mets. You got DeGrom and Scherzer still. So Mets and Phillies moving on to the, in the NL. Uh, if Cleveland plays Tampa Bay or Seattle, I think I think I like Cleveland. They've been playing well. They're going to be hard to beat on the mound. Uh, they really don't have any holes unless they just don't hit enough at all to get through. So I like Cleveland there. Uh, Toronto, right now it's Toronto and the Mariners. That's a tough one. I think I lean – I think I'm going to give the nod to the Mariners there. I like their pitching staff just a little better. Toronto can bop, but – in the three-game series, I think they got enough pitching, but after that, I think they'd struggle. So let's go Seattle. So that would put Cleveland versus the Yankees, Seattle versus Houston, uh, the Dodgers against the Mets, and the Cardinals against the Braves. So if we do that, I think I like the Yankees and Astros to advance to the ALCS. Uh, Cleveland will give the Yankees a tough run, in my opinion. I think the Astros get by either team they face. They'll figure out a way one away i'm not i'm not too concerned on that front i'm just yeah. for one one series victory here yeah well the yankees had been struggling i told you when we last talked not to worry about it and then they struggled a lot more uh, <laughs> but they've kind of righted the ship their big question is going to be can the guys around judge step up and hit enough because in the playoffs people are not going to let aaron judge beat them they just yep. won't pitch to him so that's going to be their big question but i do think we're going to end up astros yankees alcs and in the nl I like the Braves to get to the NLCS. I think, honestly, I think the Braves are the most complete team. They have the least amount of question marks, and they've been playing better than pretty much everyone in the game. So I like the Braves to come through, get to the NLCS. Dodgers-Mets is really hard to call. The Dodgers are the best team record-wise in the league. They have a huge question mark at the back end of their bullpen. Craig Kimbrell was bad for them all season. They finally took him out of the closer's role, and they don't have one guy that's just been their closer since they did that. They have a good bullpen, but they don't. But I don't love the fact that you don't have this lockdown closer to go to late in games. Ultimately, I think they probably have enough to get to the NLCS. The Mets pitching, if it comes out and performs at its top level, they can beat anyone, but they have arguably – the weakest lineup of the potential four teams that we set up there. So they, they would have the worst lineup. So I think ultimately the, the Dodgers, they've got enough. They'll get through. So that would set us up Yankees, Astros, Dodgers, Braves. Really two tough series to call, man. Uh, I told you last time we talked, I thought the Yankees would get there. 
I kind of lean Astros now. I'm going to flip on it a little. Uh, Astros, I think, are the most complete team in the NL, or excuse me, the AL. They have top to bottom lineup that's great. They have this incredible pitching staff where they're going to put guys that have won, you know, 15 games with three ERAs in their bullpen because they have too much starting pitching. And they have a closer that can get the job done. I like the Astros. I think it's going to end up being them. And I just think in the NL, the way the Braves are playing right now, if they can keep it up through the playoffs, I think they're destined to get back to the World Series, which this prediction's 100% going to be wrong because that would mean we have a repeat <laughs> of last year. So I doubt that ends up it ends up shaking out this way. Um, but if the way I'm looking at it, Astros-Braves World Series, I think maybe the Astros could come out on top, but – I don't like doing predictions because baseball is so hard to predict, man. The playoffs, mm-hmm. it's all about who's getting hot at the right time. We saw the Braves do it last year. They just got hot at the right time, won the division, and then crushed through the playoffs. So we'll see what happens. I mean, the Braves are hot right now. Cleveland's hot right now. Dodgers are great. Astros are great. Yankees, if they write the ship, they're pretty great as well. So, it's you know, I, I don't like doing predictions, man. And I pretty much just took chalk. So, <laughs> Um, bound to be wrong, but I think those are the best teams in my opinion. I like your insight. I like your insight. Here's what I'm going with myself. I'm taking the Indians to the World Series. Let's and go. the only team I see them being able to beat is just the New York Mets doing some New York Mets kind of shit. That's the only way the Indians can win a World Series. So we need the Mets and uh, then uh, get the uh, Indians through the Yankees and Astros. And uh, the the Mets would find a way to give me a World Series title for the Cleveland, uh, or, sorry, the Cleveland Guardians. Um, I don't know if I just said Indians there, um, but yeah, the Cleveland Guardians. I think that's the only way is they got to get the Mets in the in the World Series and just hope some shenanigans happens. Yeah, I, I could see Cleveland getting there, man. Honestly, I'm not just trying to get your hopes up. They've got a great team. They're playing really well. I think the Mets are going to Mets before they get to the World Series, though. So that might be your only. Uh, I think the Mets have maybe already matched by losing this, uh, <laughs> at NL East. So. Damn it, Mets. Hang on. Hold that Mets and off for, for a couple more weeks. Awesome. Well, E, I appreciate it. Uh, great insight as always. Uh, we'll definitely have to check back in with you maybe around the time of the uh, the World Series and just kind of see, uh, have you have you wrap everything up for us as we uh, head towards the World Series. Absolutely, buddy. Thanks for having me back on and uh, look forward to listening to the rest of the podcast. Awesome. Thanks, E. Joining me again for third or fourth time now, he's becoming a regular guest, Bill, the Big Cat Gardener, here to talk about the Green Bay Packers. Bill, how are we doing today? Good, Walls. Thanks for having me again. I, uh, I, as I was going through and making my notes, this is kind of our uh, our Packers you know, State of the Union four weeks in. I'm going through my notes from yesterday's game and kind of my thoughts on the season. Uh, this might not be the most positive conversation going forward, at least from my end. Uh, do you plan on bringing any uh, large large uh, amounts of positivity to this, or we both kind of have a little bit of a uh, dark outlook? I will try my best to stay positive. <laughs> yeah. So I guess if you're going to be the, uh, the, you know, the good cop in all this, I'll just start out with the bad cop. Uh, yesterday, 27-24, overtime win, squeaking one out against the the Patriots, not led by Mac Jones, only one drive with Brian Hoyer. Bailey Zappi at quarterback takes the Packers to overtime. Uh, you know, we conversed through text yesterday during the game. 
What? J- just give me a, a a quick rundown of what you thought yesterday. I think if Brian Hoyer played that whole game, I think New England would have won. The only thing that really saved Green Bay, like I think Zappy played fairly well um, for the situation he was put in, but he did miss throws. Like, crucial crucial points where I feel like maybe Hoyer, maybe not, but maybe Hoyer makes the play. Um, so I think that was kind of lucky, really. Yeah, I'm not going to disagree with you. Um, Zappi was 10 of 15 for 99 yards. Hoyer was 5 of 6 for 37 yards when he played until he got absolutely lit up by Rashawn Gary. Um, the big problem was... They rushed for, you know, over 150 yards, and it's like, what is, is this defensive line just going to get beat to shit, and it's going to be up to the linebackers to make every, you know, tackle in the run game? Like, I know the the backers are going to get the majority of the tackles, but, like, the line's got to get some push and do something. Are are you seeing anything? I mean, Kenny Clark got his ass kicked yesterday. Yeah, he got worked pretty good for being such, like, he's a stud. He's a big-time player, and I feel like he did get kind of worked yesterday, but I'm going to assume that that was Belichick's plan. He knows that, you know, who Kenny Clark is, and he's going to do his best to neutralize him, and he, he had a good game plan for him. Um, I think, yeah, man, to watch the defense just get gashed, you know, play after play, six yards, eight yards, ten yards, six, like, it's, it's so demoralizing to watch, but I honestly think that's, I think that's Joe Barry's defense i think they're gonna kind of be soft in the run and then just try to stop the pass kind of run like a bend don't break see if we can cause turnovers and and you know that's you've got good pass rushers you've got good corners um so i feel like maybe that's gonna be his philosophy and I, i think i've heard like different packers like reporters and analysts talk about that's kind of his his game plan because they're usually pretty light um i mean he runs three down linemen sometimes only two um they're they don't tend to like really crowd the box much no and yeah and sometimes when you see people like you'll see four down and you know in a in a three-point stance but i mean half the time it's like gary or preston smith you know, lined up on the edge, and, and they get down in those stands. But, yeah, they're not bringing a lot of, like, linemen in there. So it's a good point that, hey, maybe that – and, you know, it's not like it's a new thing seeing the Packers get gashed by the run. Maybe it's not as much of a priority as you and I think it should be to them. Maybe it's just, like you said, built in, and it's something they accept. Yeah, that's almost what it seems like. Because, like, you knew, even going into this game, you knew the Patriots were going to run. And then with Hoyer going down, it's not like that was going to change, you know. So, I mean, they had to anticipate a heavy run game coming in, and they still were just content with, you know, giving up the yards. And, just, and I don't know. I Half the time, I don't even feel like they defend the pass that well. <laughs> so I don't know what they're thinking. Yeah, and the pass is – the defending the pass is getting a little worrisome. Uh, J.R. Alexander – down with the groin injury. I mean, everybody knows how groin injuries are. Those things linger for, you know, weeks, if not months. Uh, Adrian Amos goes out early in the game. He's being evaluated for a concussion. 
And, you know, the Packers are cautious already as a training staff. God knows how cautious they're going to be with a concussion uh, with all, like, the Tua stuff going on. So the secondary's beat up a little bit now, too. So the defense is a little worrisome. They've had some great outings. Like, they had a good outing against the Bucs. You know, they look good against the Bears, but, I mean, you should. Um, But then in the same aspect, there's been some troubling outings, you know, against the Vikings where they got – you know, lit up by Justin Jefferson. And then now the Patriots just ran it right down their throat with a quarterback who was, you know, subpar at best. Yeah, the defense was hyped up to be really, really good this year, too. I mean, I think we even talked about it back before the season started about how the team was just going to run the ball and play defense. Um, Hopefully, I mean, with Amos, with it just being, a concussion hopefully you know it's maybe only a couple weeks that he's out because he's very important to that defense he may not be like you know your flash obviously Jair is very important um Amos isn't like your flashy guy but that dude I think if you go back and look he plays like a hundred percent of the snaps every game mm-hmm. I mean he's a defensive captain he's always on the field so like losing him I think is and you know, that's that's bad. But they use him in a lot of different situations, like in places on the field. Like you'll see him up near the line. You'll see him way back in coverage. I mean, he made a tackle in the backfield when he got the concussion. Like you'll see you know, him all over. That he made when he got hurt. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, the defense is a little bit of a worry, obviously, but I think the biggest worry, and it's not something that's a big surprise. It's the passing game, and you know, as long as well as the receivers who don't want to catch the football, Rodgers looked awful in the first half. He he came back and and kind of redeemed himself in the second half yesterday, but that first half out of Aaron Rodgers looked like a guy who was washed up, frankly. And you know, starting the year, the worry was going to be there's going to be nobody to throw to, and Rodgers was going to hold on to the ball too long and take sacks and then throw bad interceptions. And it's kind of coming true, but even like the easy throws, Rodgers doesn't seem to be hitting. So it's a little bit more of a worry about Rodgers than I ever thought I'd have going into the year. And I don't know where, you know, you kind of fall there. I mean, I know you were saying pull Rodgers in the first half yesterday. I think we may have been getting a little out of control there. But, uh, yeah, so I don't know. Where do you fall on all that? Yeah, I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't pull Rodgers. That's, uh, that's a little bit of an overreaction. Um, <laughs> He has not looked great, though, to start games. Um, I think it was similar last year, though, because he barely does anything in the offseason. I think I saw something that said he tries to, like, not even throw that much in the offseason, you know, to, like, save his arm and stuff. So I'm sure he's probably just shaking off some rust, but it does feel like it's taking longer Mm -hmm. for him to shake that rust. But... If you look at the second half, man, he was dropping dimes. Yeah, I mean, he uh, came out he, right he away. Through a couple balls that were just perfect. You know, the one down the right sideline yep. to Lazard on third down that kind of got them going. You know, they almost came out and had a three and out, but the, he hits that pass, you know, in the perfect place. That gets them going. Dude, and then what, what should have won the game is him hitting Dobbs down oh. the right sideline and he ends up perfect. perfect ball. You know, and. There you go. There's your now your rookie receivers who 
just can't seem to hold on to the ball at yeah. all. That dude has fumbled like every game. Yeah, I was going to say, he fumbled earlier in the game. and Or was it this game or last game that he almost fumbled another one? I'm, I'm getting... Game. I'm getting so confused with his fumbles because it's such a common occurrence now, which is not you, a good sign. If you watch him closely, when he gets tackled, that ball is usually kind of coming loose. Like, most of the time he ends up falling on it, but his ball security is not great. No, it's not a good sign. And, and he makes such great plays sometimes. Like, he got himself open and made a great play to get to the ball in the end zone. He made a good back shoulder catch. Uh, for a touchdown after that, it's like the dude's got some talent, but like he's got to, you just got to hold on to the football. Yeah. Him and Watson, I mean, they have flashed some really great, like, playmaking mm-hmm. ability. Um, but you're going to get all the stuff that comes with them also being rookies. Um, and like you look at it around the league, you see all these other rookies who went in the first round and it. You know, it seems like they always are doing better, but what are they? they're a second and a fourth round pick you yep. know, thrown into the starting lineup. There's going to be you know, there's going to be bumps in the road, but they have flashed for sure, man. That uh, that jet sweep they ran with Watson, that dude can fly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he there was a lot of ground. <laughs> like his strides are crazy long. Yeah, I mean that was an impressive run. There was not. I mean, it was a well-designed play, too, so there was nobody near him because of that. But, like, there was nobody catching him. Like, he could have taken that thing 50, 60 yards by the looks of it and kind of went in untouched from from that far out, too, I thought. So, yeah, I think I think it's growing pains with them. I, I guess the, the, opti- you know, the optimist in me is, you know, give them three, four more weeks, kind of get their footing, um, maybe get a little stick them for Dobbs, put him on his hands like old Clifford Franklin. Uh, get him holding on to that football, and there could be some some good things to go from that. I think, and, and we've seen this in in Rogers' history, is because of a little bit of mistrust of Dobbs and Watson, he gets kind of forcing it to you know his favorite his favorite targets, and those are obviously Cobb and Lazard. Um, yeah. Robert Tunyon caught a caught a touchdown pass. Uh, the first time I may, he's maybe ever caught a touchdown pass with fans in the stands because the last time he was catching touchdown passes was in COVID and he kind of had come out of nowhere then. Uh, but, like, he's going to force it to those guys, which becomes an issue because he waits for them to get open and causes sacks. And, you know, it, it's always he's always been that kind of guy where he really kind of feeds one or two guys. But, you know, in the past he's had Devontae Adams and Jordy Nelson and, you know, Greg Jennings and Donald Driver, like, to, to do that to, I mean, this is a team where he's kind of really got to spread it around, and it, it just almost seems like he's lacking the trust to do that. Yeah, you can see there's always that, just that slight hesitation. Because mm-hmm. it's like, he wants to go there, but he's got that little bit of mistrust in those guys. So the rhythm comes off. And then he holds on to the ball too long, and then he's looking for the big play, and then he takes the sack or, you know, just throws it out of bounds, um, which he did this a few years ago. Mm-hmm. When he gets off rhythm, you know, he tries to, you know, kind of play that hero ball. Um, but I guess it's better for him to just, let's do this now. Yes. Yeah. Let's, let's, you're three and one, and you haven't had, like, 
mean, the winds have been floppy. Yes. Um, but you're still three and one. And, you know, it's as long as you can still get wins while you're working through this stuff, you know, hopefully you'll be in an okay spot, you know, come the end of the year. Yeah, that's that's a really good way to look at it. And I I mean, if you would have said at the start of the season, coming out of this stretch going three and one, I think well, I know I would have taken it. I would have to imagine you would have taken that too. I mean, Vikings, Bears, Bucks, Patriots, you don't know the Pats are gonna be down Mac Jones, but I mean, three and one in your first four games, I, I think that's a you know, the the results out of that are, you know, a B plus, A minus. The the way they got there is maybe a C plus or a B minus. But I mean, at the end of the day, uh, you know, the regular season, you, you you don't necessarily have to prove anything. You just kind of got to get through it, get yourself to the playoffs, and then hopefully by then you're playing the kind of football you need to so that then you can go prove something. And I think going this next four-week stretch, if you kind of break it down into four weeks at a time, no reason they can't go 3-1 and one again. I mean, they got to go They got to go through the London stuff here where they're, they're playing the Giants, who've been better than expected. Um, but then they get the Jets and the Commanders. Neither of them have been any good. The Commanders have been awful. Um, and then the at the Bills on Sunday Night Football is going to be a tough one. But uh, this looks like a very easy, not easy, but a very possible stretch to get the three and one in this one, too. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they should. You know, if they're going to be the team that people expect them to be, like if you look at, you know, power rankings and stuff like that, most of the rankings have them like in between like three and five. Um, so if that's who they're really going to be, you know, they these are games they need to win. Yep. You need to beat the Giants, you need to beat the Jets, and then you need to beat the Commanders. If you lose to the Bills, you know, that's, that's going to happen. Because yep. the Bills are, I think, number one on everyone's power rankings right now. So, you know, if that's the if that's the game you lose, I mean, I guess that's that's okay. Yeah, yeah, I would agree with you. So, why don't you give me uh, if you if you got a grade to give the Packers so far this season? What would you give them? Oh boy, um, I mean, the record three and one. You're that's like a B plus, but execution, I mean, it's been pretty average. Um, Their win, like, points scored versus points against. For them being 3-1, and I think it was was very low. I think they were barely above. uh, Their points scored was barely above their points against. Um, I mean, performance, C, but like I said, you, really at the end, at the end of the day, what matters is the record. Yep. Yeah, and like you, said, you just you just have to win. Yep. You just got to win and move forward. You know, they're going to be ugly. It's hard to win games in the NFL. Yeah, and and doing the the points thing, uh, they would be so they won by two, three, so that's five. Seventeen is twenty two. And then they lost by 15. So, yeah, uh, just seven points above uh, above their uh, – on the points for versus points allowed. So, any – you know, anything, you know, as we kind of wrap this up before – and we've kind of mentioned it uh, to each other. We'll probably do this every four or five weeks, kind of check in. Anything you've seen as like a real big bright spot 
uh, for the Packers. I know I've got one one thing in mind, and I, I'm thinking we might get to the same place. But any big bright spot you've thought from the Pack so far this year? We probably have. I was going to say Quay Walker has looked great. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he's played really well because um, I watched like some of the preseason games, and I know in the preseason you're playing really basic, you know, defense, and he didn't seem like he was doing much because he was playing most of the preseason. Yep. But it didn't, he didn't like really flash. I didn't think, I mean, like I didn't watch every single play, but it wasn't anything that like blew me away, but watching him, you know, in these first four weeks, he can fly all over the field. You know, when he hits, he hits with a purpose. Um, Right now, I think he's just racking up tackles, but I think as the year progresses on, we'll see some like difference making type plays out of him. Mm -hmm. Um, I think he will, you know, he'll show up in a bright spot here or there coming down the road, I think, because he is putting it, he's already starting to put it together because he's flying all over the field. Um, but dude, uh, Rashawn Gary's a stud. Yep. Yep. He's that's a, where I was kind of going. He's an animal. You know, he, he's become the guy, you know, like when we're sitting here and we're watching and it's, you know, the Patriots are driving and now we've got, you know, a third and eight. You know they're throwing, they drop back. In my mind now, I've gotten to the point where I'm like, Gary's making a play. Yep. Yeah, I've got to the point where I look, like, especially in those situations, I'm, like, scanning the screen. I'm like, okay, which side's he lined up on? Where's he at? Like, I'm going to follow him more than I'm going to follow anything else. Yeah, my because my bright spot, I was going to say the linebacking core in general. Um, like you said, Quay Walker... Devondre Campbell, Rashawn Gary, obviously. Preston Smith had a, a better first couple weeks than he's had the last couple. Um, but I think that's been an absolute bright spot for him uh, after we roasted the defense a lot. We didn't really roast those guys because they're playing such good football. And I thought that's been a, a, a real bright spot and you know, hopefully something that can, like you said, affect games and make game affecting plays moving forward. Yeah, they're gonna they're gonna need from time to time, I think with this offense, you know, it's there's going to be mistakes and miscues, and there's going to be times where they need. I mean, that's kind of what happened against Tampa. The defense won that game. Yep. Um, they're going to have to do that, I think, more often um, than obviously they had to last year. Agreed. Awesome. Well, any uh, any other closing thoughts you have uh, for the uh, thoughts on the Packers season thus far before we uh, wrap this up? No, I'm just I'm happy. I'm happy with three and one. You know, hopefully, you know, when we talk here in a few more weeks, maybe we're sitting at a uh, six and two. That wouldn't be too bad. Yeah, I think if we're you know if we talk in four or five weeks, if we're six and two, seven and two. Uh, that's that's successful. Uh, five and three would be okay. Anything worse is is disaster push the panic button. So uh, hopefully it'll be six and two. Um, well, Bill, I appreciate you coming back and talking some Packers. And uh, like we said, we'll, uh, we'll talk again soon. Sounds good. Thanks for having me, Walsh. Thanks, Bill. Let's do a quick uh, rundown of the rest of the NFL. Uh, Bill was so gracious to grace us with his time to talk about the Packers. Let's cover a little bit uh, else of the, the fun stuff from the weekend. The weekend that was in the NFL week four. Uh, football in London this week. I like it. Uh, my Packers will be there next week, but I enjoyed coming back from playing a little golf uh, this 
Sunday morning and then playing, uh, seeing some football being played on the TV was a nice little start to the Sunday. Vikings, uh, Vikings Saints, it came right down to the wire. It was great. We had a double doink from 60 yards out, and the ball still almost went in. The total amount that ball missed by was some inches. All kind of happened because a Vikings player got injured, and they had to stop the clock after they'd gone back and forth exchanging scores. Fun game. Again, London football, yes, please. I think the game of the week was probably Bills-Ravens, though, right? I mean, that was... That was as fun of a game as you could get. The uh, the Ravens go up 20-3. to But hey, like Chris Berman's always told us, nobody, absolutely nobody, circles the wagons like the Buffalo Bills, and they come back, they get a score late in the first half, kind of keep themselves in it, and then come charging all the way back. Josh Allen just being a dude. He's throwing it in, he's running it in. And then, you know, obviously the big part of this game that everyone's going to talk about is that the Ravens go get down to fourth and goal from the one or two, whatever it may be, and they decide to go for it, tied 20-20 to with about four minutes left, and they don't get it. But not only do they not get it, Lamar Jackson throws a pick in the end zone. So instead of leaving the Bills at the one, the Bills have breathing room. They come out to the 20. And it makes sense because I think they were the Ravens' defense has not been good this year. I think I saw a stat that they were giving up maybe the third or fourth most yards per game. So I get it. I get why we're going. Again, I, I think, you know, we've maybe, you know, we can take the points every once in a while. Like, it's okay. You don't have to go for every fourth down. <laughs> like, every time it's fourth and one. It's not always the best decision to go for it. Sometimes just take the points. But they go for it. They don't get it. They throw the interception. And then the Bills just, you know, they matriculated the ball down the field. They moved the ball. They got down to the other end. And then they bled the clock dry. It. They didn't let the Bills score, which is something, you know, that you thought they might have. There were a couple instances where it looks like it, like they were gonna, and then somebody like made a random tackle. I forget who made the random tackle on the one yard line, but then like a safety came in and was like yelling at a linebacker. I could be totally flip flopping that. So the Bills, you know, they bleed out the clock, they kick the field goal, they win. Great win for the Bills. Tough one for the Ravens. I mean, losing to the Bills isn't the worst thing in the world, but that's a tough loss. You wonder if, you know, hey, you just kick the field goal and, you know, you make them have to go score the touchdown. They were being very capable of scoring a touchdown there, but they weren't in. They weren't in. You know, you just never know. Now, hey, we can Monday morning quarterback all we want here. You know, Monday evening quarterback as the uh, as the Rams and the 49ers are playing over my shoulder, but... If if the Ravens score a touchdown there, they look like geniuses. Now, who's to say it doesn't stop the Bills from still going down and scoring? But you never know. Another comeback team to talk about. I'm a believer, man. I'm a believer in the Philadelphia Eagles. I'm a believer in Jalen Hurts. They get down 14-0 early against the Jacksonville Jaguars, who for some reason don't want to throw the ball to Kirk. I mean... 
just you paid a bunch for him. Let's feed him the rock, people. Let's feed him the rock. My fantasy football team could use it. But yeah, I'm a believer in the Eagles. They battle some adversity, tough weather, tough conditions, get down 14-0 to a Jaguars team who I think is solid. They'll finish around 500, I think. Maybe a bit over, maybe a bit under. Can't finish 500 anymore. But yeah, I'm a believer in the Eagles. They battle back from being 14, down 14 nothing, and I believe ripped off 21 unanswered at one point. I'm going to need to check myself on that now. But yeah, they, they've got a couple good wide receivers. they got Miles Sanders doing his thing. Jalen Hurts is looking solid, man. I, I admit, I, was, I wasn't sold on these guys, but then I was. Sorry, they ripped off 20 straight points. They didn't get the uh, extra point. It was actually... Uh, they ripped off 29 straight points. The The Jags' last touchdown was after. Yeah, so 29 unanswered. So I'm in. Like my man MJ said, maybe Cooper Rush is the best quarterback in Cowboys history, though. Cooper Rush 4-0 as a starter. Look out. He can't be stopped. Cooper Rush, unstoppable. But yeah, Cooper Rush doing a great job. Great story. Guy who uh, guy's been picked up was picked up by the Cowboys after being undrafted, then cut, then uh, went to the Giants or somebody. I was watching the, the profile and then cut again and, and just kind of just keeps coming, gets getting another chance, another chance. Now he's making it worth it. This guy's going to be able to hang around as a backup probably for the rest of his career now because of this. But yeah, big win again. Uh, keeping the Cowboys alive. Just keeping them in it, not letting them fall out of contention. That's his job, and he's doing it fantastically. I, I do get a, a laugh out of the people like, oh, quarterback controversy in Dallas. No, there's not. There's not. Dak Prescott's the quarterback when he comes back. Chiefs Tampa Bay was a fun one last night. Chiefs looking to uh, put a statement in there. And, uh, you know, they did it. They, uh, they made a statement. Pat Mahomes doing things. Just, you know, he's doing things again. He's finding Kelsey early. Then he's, you know, dancing around on the goal line and flipping one over somebody's head to Clyde Edwards Hilaire. Just being, being Mahomes. Only Mahomes. Brady put up some numbers, though. He uh, he put up some numbers. 385, three TDs. It, uh, you know, he's not dead yet. My man's still hanging. My man's still hanging around. But, uh, yeah, good win for the Chiefs. Um, Panthers are like 1-26 if their opponent scores more than uh, 17 points, I believe, under Matt Rule. I was super confused. About the uh, the line tonight, the Monday night line, the Rams were uh, getting two points, and what do you know? At the end of the first quarter, not quite the end of the first quarter. There's a minute and a half left in the first quarter. They're down seven three. I thought it was. I was like, this is either a trap game, and then you know the 49ers are the favorites for a reason, or this is the game that the Rams are going to blow them out by twenty. Still time for for that to happen, but. As of the moment, it looks like it was the trap game that I, I worried it was. So, you know, other words, other things in the uh, NFL. Oh, Tua. Tua. We got to talk about Tua. 
My man gets jacked up last week. Looks to have a concussion. They say no concussion. It was a back injury. Then he gets rolled up this week. Definitely concussion. Weird moment. Scary moment with his hands. The Dolphins fired the uh, the guy they you know had do the uh, assessment. Yeah, scary. So yeah, Bengals got a, a win over the Dolphins without Tua. So two and two. So the Bengals are back alive. Anything else is super interesting. Chargers get a win. They're back to two and two. Texans still winless. The New York Football Giants they keep winning three and one, three and one. New York Jets take down uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers. They stayed at two and two. So yeah, a lot of good teams. Ravens, uh, sorry, Ravens. Raiders pick up their first win. They take down the Broncos. The NFL's it's you know parody as usual. So fun week. As always, the NFL is a great time. You know the red zone, witching hour. It's the best. It's the best stuff to watch. Uh, looking over the shoulder here, looks like uh, looks like Jimmy G's in the drop back, and he's slinging something across. Hopefully to to Ayuk. I need some Ayuk. Oh, these are highlights. What do we like next week? I like. I saw four picks. I liked. I like the Steelers getting fourteen at Buffalo. Fourteen. Too many points to pass up. I like the Jets getting three and a half at home against the Dolphins. I know the Dolphins are solid. But it's, it's, I don't know. I just, I'm not, I think the Dolphins could have a, a down week. Titans minus two and a half at the Commanders. The Commanders stink. And the Falcons at the Bucks minus eight. A lot of points to lay. But I think it's the right move. I think the, the Bucks come back strong. That wraps up my, uh, my Monday, my, yeah, my Monday night. It is Monday night. My NFL talk. We will have the, you know, Monday night football addendum that I'll throw on uh, Tuesday morning right before I hit publish. So, We'll be back real shortly. Monday night football, and all I can say is Vegas knew. They knew. I was I was thinking, you know, maybe they didn't know something for once. I was wrong. Of course I was wrong. I'm always wrong. The uh, the Niners come out and just, you know, kind of ragdoll the Rams. And I think, you know, from what I saw of the game, didn't watch it, you know, super closely, but I saw enough of it. The Niners played better than the score indicated. They they got, you know, kind of those 10 garbage points late, but it was, you know, 14 to 9 at one point in the third quarter, missed field goal, and I don't know, it just felt like it just felt like they were playing better than the score indicated. Jimmy Garoppolo seems to be working out for now, and somebody said this, and I thought it was a, a very smart, I you know, I don't I think it was Aikman. He's, he said, you know, in the short term, for whatever the short term is going to, would have been, you know, four weeks, five weeks, one season, the Niners are better off with Jimmy Garoppolo. And I think I tend to agree with that. I mean, I think there's a definite ceiling with Garoppolo, but, you know, and, and Trey Lance's, I think, potential is higher. But I think, in like you, like you said, in the short term, they're better off. They're solid, man. I mean, that two and two, they're kind of interesting. You know, they lose that first week to the Bears and that slop fest, come back and beat the Seahawks 27-7. Then lose another game, uh, 11-10 to the Broncos. So tough to figure out. Rams, a little weird to figure out as well. You know, they get they get boat raced the first week by the Bills, but then come back with two strong, two good wins, Falcons and Cardinals. Not the strongest teams, but 
Might learn a little bit more about the Rams versus the Cowboys, see if they can get by uh, maybe the greatest Dallas quarterback ever in uh, Cooper Rush. So, yeah, fantasy football, you know, uh, took my first loss in my in my auction league on ESPN. I am I had one most points scored the last two years in that league. I'm falling behind. I'm darn, I'm a, just, I'm 100 points back of, of most points. Need to, need to pick the pace up. It would help if Alvin Kamara got healthy. He's been, been trash. It'd be nice if, if uh, Dak Prescott could come back as well and start putting up some points for me. So, got, got to figure some stuff out in that league. I, uh, big matchup in my, my Yahoo league, probably my best team, uh, week five matchup against the other best team, two top scoring teams in the league. I've scored 577 points through, uh, four weeks. The, uh, the leader in the league scored 622 teams on fire. Maybe we could knock him off. So, uh, so yeah, so two and one in one of my leagues, three and oh, in the other two, uh, money, big money leagues. How's my ooh, two and two in that league. And then in my, uh, in my dynasty league, I think I've moved to uh three and one, three and one. I think I picked up the victory. Let me double check here. Yes. That's going to be a victory. Going to be three and one in that league as well. So not too bad all around. All right. That, uh, that does it for football. You know, the student-athletes toss the pigskin around, too. So let's go talk about some college football. Uh, let's start off uh, following up with Clarkie's Corner, uh, see how we did this week. Uh, so <clears throat> one addendum, Clarkie did say he wanted Old Miss plus 6.5. Um, must have flipped it. Old Miss was actually minus 6.5. So Clarkie had Old Miss plus 6.5. They ended up winning 22-19. They would have won had they been plus six and a half. The catches, they were minus six and a half. I was taking Kentucky minus six and a half to go against him. So we're just going to scratch that one off, not even count that one. Uh, just pretend like that didn't happen. Uh, the rest of Clarkie's picks, he goes Rutgers getting, getting uh, 40 and a half, and that is a winner. I am an idiot and wrote that down as a loser. Um, so, yes, Rutgers uh, actually go, gets a win. Northwestern, this is where we differed. This is where we differed. I went with Penn State, got stupid, um, shouldn't have done it, shouldn't have done it, but I did. Uh, Northwestern easily, easily covers 25 and a half, uh, 17 to 7. Uh, obviously, more talk about that game coming up. Uh, so I get I pick up a loss there, and then we uh, we both have losers on Iowa State was minus three and a half. They lose to Kansas, and then uh, NC State was the upset pick, and they go down to Clemson twenty to thirty twenty to thirty. So we go to the totals. Clarky goes two and two on the week. He moves to fourteen nine and one. I go a uh, beautiful one and three and move to 16, seven and one. 16, seven and one for me, 14, nine and one for Clarkie. Uh, both profitable there, both profitable. So uh, coming up this week, Clarkie likes Michigan giving 22 to Indiana. He likes BYU getting four on the road in Notre Dame. He likes Auburn getting 29 and a half against the Georgia Bulldogs. And for his upset pick, 
He likes FIU taking down you, 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 you con. Um, I think, I think I'm just going to, I'm just going to break with him in one spot. I'm going to take Georgia. Georgia's at home. Auburn's coming between the hedges. I believe they say between the hedges. I'll take Georgia. I'll ride with him on everything else. So let's get to it. Uh, this week, I didn't see a ton of college football. So going to be kind of a short little segment here. Uh, Penn State struggles, struggles with Northwestern. Wet, sloppy game. Uh, I think games like that tend to do better for the underdog. You know, the sloppiness can kind of negate some of the, you know, the talent differential. Um, But still, pretty pathetic performance from Penn State. Uh, Northwestern came to play, and they just weren't ready, as is typical of James Franklin-led teams. Just not, not doing what you should do. They should beat Northwestern by more than 10 points, especially as 25-point favorites. Like, you, you got to do better. Do you have to beat them by, you know, by four touchdowns? No, but it shouldn't be a 10-point game that could have been a one-score game because Northwestern actually went for it on fourth and goal late in the third, and it didn't have to get them. I thought they should have kicked a field goal. Um, we've definitely gotten to this point in football where we're not taking the points as much. Uh, what else? Yeah, five fumbles by Penn State, two by Northwestern. Again, I know wet, sloppy game, but five fumbles? I mean, come on. Penn State lost all five of them, too. Notre Dame only lost one of the two. Um, so, yeah. So, so moving forward, Penn State's going to have a rough a rough go. The next, They're off this week, but the three weeks after that are at Michigan, hosting Minnesota. They moved, That's the whiteout game because then they're going to host Ohio State which I would imagine means that game's going to Fox at noon. Because Fox loves that that noon. I think they get monster ratings. I think that's why they've become so all-in. Is because nobody was putting good games at noon, and Fox was like, screw it. We'll do it. We'll put the best game of the week that we have there. So I don't think that's going away anytime soon. So, you know, night games and the, you know, the biggest Big Ten games are not going to be common, I don't think. Especially because I don't think ESPN has any... Big Ten games going forward. I don't know what the deal is with NBC, though. If there is still somebody who wants to run night games, you know, night games in the Big Ten can, you know, Penn State whiteouts will still happen. But as long as Fox has it their way, they like that They like that big noon slot. They, they run their big noon kickoff right into that big noon game, and it's been doing well for them, I believe. So, so yeah, if Penn State doesn't figure it out a little bit, they're going to get boat raced by Michigan. They're going to have a hell of a test with Minnesota, and they're going to get boat raced by Ohio State. So they should figure it out in the off week. Speaking of boat races, TCU boat raced Oklahoma. Saw that. Uh, didn't see any of that game. So again, I, I didn't see much. Other big wins: Clemson, Alabama, Wake Forest, Ole Miss, Oklahoma State. All pick up wins over ranked opponents. Good wins there. So next week we got a couple of we got three good games to really keep your eye on. TCU at Kansas, I believe game day is headed to Kansas. Tennessee going to LSU. Can Tennessee kind of continue this little comeback trail? Pick up a big win in Death Valley, and then Utah and UCLA a little uh, little Pac-12 with a with a good game. All ranked matchups, so those should be fun. Uh, just a couple newses and notes. I guess it'd be news news and notes. It wouldn't be news is. It'd just be news and notes. A couple of things in news and notes. I don't know. It's not news and notes. That's just stupid. I'm an idiot. Wisconsin fires Paul Christ. 
I thought there might be more rumblings, but then when you get run out of ta- run out of your own stadium by Illinois, that's going to put you on the hot seat. And they skipped the hot seat and said, see you later. You're out of here. Jim Leonard, the defensive coordinator, former Wisconsin Badger himself, will be stepping up as the interim. And amazing news drop of this one. They dropped this in the Packer game about two minutes after Romeo Dobbs dropped what would have been the go-ahead touchdown in the end zone. And, I mean, they were rolling it across the uh, the screen on the local Wisconsin CBS channel. Just incredible news dump for that. Also, Syracuse ended up shorting their quarters to 10 minutes when they were playing Wagner because they were beating them so bad. So I've got a thought. Maybe don't play fucking Wagner anymore. Like, that shouldn't be happening. So, like I said, not much for college football this week. We'll be back with some next week. Like I said, a few good games and probably talking a little bit about the upcoming game against Michigan. Let's hit my passing thoughts up. Hugh Jackman, back as Wolverine in Deadpool 3. Excited for that. Hugh Jackman, great as Wolverine. Deadpool movie's pretty fun. The first one was really good. The second one was okay. But the first one was really good, so maybe they can recapture that magic. Ryan Reynolds, greatest Deadpool as well. A news reporter in Florida covering the hurricane found a way to cover their mic up and keep it from getting wet. They slapped a condom on it. That was just absolutely incredible. I can't imagine who was like, yeah, this is what we're going to do. We're going to put a condom on the mic. Like, you can see the little bubble on the top and everything. Just absolutely great. Aaron Rodgers was calling the plays, we found out. He kind of let it out. He acted like it was old news. Said it on the Pat McAfee show that he was calling most of the plays the day Matt Flynn went for 480 and six touchdowns in week 17 in 2011. Yeah, 2011. That season ended well. Uh, But yeah, he was calling the plays for the majority of them. Matt Flynn responded that he had to audible out of most of them. So nice little nice little dig there. Nice little dig. The New England, not New England, the New Zealand Prime Minister, she was uh, at the UN the other day trying to regulate free speech, saying it could be a weapon of war. She's a cunt. So she can go fuck herself. She's always seemed terrible. Like, she's seemed terrible through all this COVID shit, but she just they're just doubling down now. Like, you're just finding out who these fucking assholes are. Yeah. Just absolute dickheads. This meme. This meme really got me. It showed the old RCA connecting pack. It was the, what you would plug into, like, your Walkman, and then eventually, like, your your iPod. And it had the, the tape deck thing. You put in the tape deck that you could play a CD player, you could play your iPod through your car stereo that didn't have a CD or an MP3 hookup or an aux cord. And the quote on this meme is, excuse me while I plug my portable CD player into my car's cassette deck like a goddamn boss. Me, 1995. Motherfucker, I was doing that till 2013. 1995. There was a full-grown adult in between 1995 and when I was still doing it. I mean, good lord, 1995. I mean, that was... 1995. They even make CDs in 95. I know they made CDs in 95. But the tape, that thing, 1995, that was going strong into the early 2000s, no doubt. 
I know by 2013, I probably was one of the last vestiges of the people using the, you know, the tape deck adapter. But still, 1995. Like, 2002 would have been a good one for that. 1995. What? What are you, rich? Kind of rich person are you? Errol Spence Jr. and Bud Crawford uh, not appearing to happen in 2022. Toss this in here to my passing thoughts because didn't think there was much of a stuff for a, a, a fighting segment. But yeah, uh, not happening in 2022 by reports from Mike Coppinger from ESPN. There have been multiple allegations about the transparency of where the money is going to go. Errol Spence on the PBC, PBC side with Al Heyman. Bud Crawford, now a, a promotional free agent after he left top rank. We kind of thought that was the holdup to getting this done. Turns out it probably wasn't. Now Bud Crawford, who offered to take the shorter end of the split, apparent, allegedly also foregoing a guarantee to take back-end money off what they make off pay-per-view and ticket sales and sponsorships. Allegedly, what's happened is he wants to see the books and see the transparency on how that's going to work because he's taking the you know the upfront risk and to get his money on the back end, and they're not being as transparent as he wants. Allegedly, again, this is all you know, just what's being said. If that's the case, that I mean, that shenanigans like the dude's making every concession. He's taking less money. He's taking less of the split. He's not taking a guarantee. Just show the dude how it's going to work. We ducking. Is Errol ducking? Errol be ducking, you know. Is he ducking? I've always thought Bud Crawford should be favored in that fight, and maybe somebody else does too. But again, that's all allegations. We don't know what's going on. So, moving on. Moving on. Saw another good meme. Saw another good meme. Let's move back to the meme world. Here's the, here's the meme. Just heard a British person call Oreos chocolate sandwich biscuits. And I finally understand why the Revolutionary War had to happen. Couldn't agree more. Chocolate sandwich biscuits? That Whoever said that's a serial killer, along with being British. Also, did you know Oreos are actually a knockoff? I always forget what the name of the actual one. What are they a knockoff of? I'm going to look it up here. We know how good it goes when I look things up. Oh, here we go. Hydrox. Oreo cookies are actually a knockoff brand of another company called Hydrox. Oreo was created in 1912 as an imitation of Hydrox. Oreo obviously eventually proceeds and uh, exceeds Hydrox in popularity, which is, results in Hydrox being uh, perceived as the Oreo off-brand. Hydrox cookies have a less sweet filling and a crunchier cookie shell that is reportedly less soggy with milk. Mm. Hydrox maybe maybe the place to go. Uh, Hydrox was largely discontinued in 1999, three years after Sunshine Aquarius, which is ooh. The product was reintroduced in 2015 by Leaf Brands. Leaf Brands. Is there, is there any still out there? In 2017, the recipe was removed to remove artificial flavors so they could be non-GMO. Yeah, well, I don't even know if you can find them. Now, down the rabbit hole we went there. 
speaking of other, I guess this isn't really a rabbit hole. Well, I thought it'd say rabbit hole. Went to a tailgate, went to Wisconsin football tailgate. My buddy was one of the people inviting me. He's a few years younger than me, just out of, not too far out of college. I find myself at the tailgate talking with his parents almost as much, if not more, than I talk to anybody else. I'm getting old. The children. The children are there getting after it, doing keg stands. I'm just kind of standing around talking to the parents. It's, uh, you know, it's a different, it's a, it's, you know, it's a different world. It's a different world sometimes. Well, back to the assholes. So... The House put off a vote to limit lawmakers' stock trades. And then the headline says, Casting Doubt on Prospects. The majority leader's announcement that the House would not vote this week on a bill to curb trading by members of Congress punted the issue until after the midterm midterm elections. Of course they did. Just push it down the road, right? You know when they'll vote on it. They'll vote on it like the fucking week after the elections. And I'll all vote no, you can't limit shit, so we can keep fucking stealing money, and then two years will pass before they have to get elected again, and everyone will fucking forget about it. Criminals. Every last one of them. Democrats, Republicans, everybody. Criminals. We should vote out the entirety of the House. We should vote out the entirety of the Senate. We should replace all of the federal government, slice it in half, and just get rid of all of it. Criminals. 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 <sighs> Apparently there's some criminals in uh, in pro fishing too. Apparently these this dude was going around stuffing his fish. Dropping lead balls. Like down their throats. Stuffing them with like other fish fillets. So that they would weigh more and then he'd win. I didn't know. I didn't know pro fishing was like this. I thought you just ate. I thought you just went out there and caught some fish. Apparently, along with stuffing them, they would plant fish. They would find. They would catch fish like throughout a time frame. Keep them, cage them, go plant them, and throw a little bobby, a little yeah, bob bobby, a little bobber to to mark where they were, or maybe just like put in the GPS on like their fishing like tools. And then go back and like pull the cage and be like, oh, we caught this monster that we've had for a while. So, yeah, uh, pro fishing. It's wild. Uh, DK Metcalf, he had to uh, get carted off the field the other day. Wasn't uh, so much because of an injury, but he, he had to use the restroom. A man had to take a dump. And <laughs> TSN Sports tweeted, DK Metcalf carted off the field to use the bathroom. King Energy. And he quote tweets it and says, that clinch walk wouldn't have made it with the laughy face. Oh, got to respect it. Got to respect my man. Other things you got to respect. The Coca-Cola at McDick's. Best Coke in the game. It's the best Coke in the game. It is 100% the best Coke you can find at a ga- at not a gas station, at a, a fast food uh, place. And it's it's up there. You can't, you can't find any better. Um, so... NASA did this this thing, the NASA DART mission, the double asteroid redirection test, where they were like firing like shit up at like a thing up at an asteroid and running it into it so it would like change the course. So I, I don't know how like that kind of slipped by. I was just like, hey, we did this, and I just like saw it in passing. 
Like, if I didn't see it that one time, I never would have seen it again. I knew it happened, and I never would have seen it again. So, very interesting. Very interesting. Saw the Manti Teo documentary. That was very good. Uh, I can remember living when all that, you know, living through all that stuff. It was right after his senior year of football, college football. I was a senior in college. It was it was super interesting. Like it was nice to go back and kind of relive it. Just some wild shit. The the person that played Lenny Kakuya, Renaya, who changed their name to they've become a woman and changed their name. That person is fucking certifiable. They like want people to feel bad for them. Like talk about fucking narcissism, man. Like you fucking. You almost ruined the dude's life, and you're like, I, I, I deserve respect. Fuck you. What else do we got? <laughs> I saw this in a parking lot at a uh, hotel. Got upgraded at a hotel to a little, little suite. It's always nice. Always nice. Some dude had a truck jacked up so high, he needed like a step. You know, he's got the runner boards to step up in it. It's like, dude, maybe when you're five foot two. You shouldn't jack your truck up four feet. Because I think the rule should be, if you jack your truck up too high that you can't just step up into it, the truck is jacked up too high or you're too short. So what are we trying to compensate for? I don't know. Just maybe don't jack your truck up that high. If you got to put a little step ladder on your truck, maybe you've done too much. The hotel also had, you could just watch Showtime, like it gave you Showtime, so there was a ton of movies on there. Uh, watch Black Sheep. Hadn't seen Black Sheep in a while. It's basically like how do we remake Tommy Boy but be a little different. So it, it's a, it's still a fun watch. Um, Tommy Boy, yeah, not Tommy Boy. What's his uh, shit? What's his name in Black Sheep? Richard. It's not Rich. Richard. What's happening? Donnelly. Al Donnelly is his brother. Al Donnelly was the vice president Hoynes in. In West Wing. Look for Donnelly. What's his name in the movie? Damn it. Mike Donnelly. Mike Donnelly. But funny movie. Um, Gary Busey is an incredible character. And at one point, Gary Busey talks about how he has it on some movie on Laserdisc. Which is fucking awesome. Laserdisc, first of all. And then that Gary Busey and that character had a Laserdisc. is perfect. And... I never understood this reference. They're talking about, you know, selling the pictures to the incumbent governor. She's like, well, you have to tell me your name so I can know who to make the cash, the checkout to. He's like, my best friends call me cash. I'm like, oh, cash is his alibi. I had no idea. I was like 10. Didn't know he just wanted straight cash, homie. Or if you wanted to write the check, you could write it for cash. But he just wanted the straight cash, homie. Well, that's all I got. Let's go wrap this thing up. All right, people, closing time. Again, as always, I appreciate all the support. I thank you guys to the ends of the earth and back. So thank you, thank you, thank you for all the support. Uh, Big thank yous to Ethan Sexton, Bill Gardner for coming in and talking. Ethan with the baseball, Bill with the Packers. Like I said, both of those guys are going to be back probably sooner rather than later. More stuff for them to talk about. We'll be back next week. More NFL to cover. Baseball playoffs will have started. Also next week, planning on doing a little hockey preview. A little hockey preview. Might have a, a guest or two 
guest or two on to talk about that. So hockey preview next week, hopefully. More NFL, baseball, more college football. It's going to be great. You know where to find it. Old Wall's house. Till then. Peace.